Anyways, so I'm Chuck Ruth. Most of you know that. Um, thank you. I gotta, thank you. Talking about the ascension today, because we're kind of doing the Walk with Jesus series, and so this is after Easter, obviously, the ascension. Um, I call it a walk in the clouds, because number one, that's a cool title. I'm all about that. Number two, Jesus does ascend into the clouds. He doesn't walk into the clouds, right? But he ascends into the clouds. But it's kind of like a walk in the clouds. And number three, all the people we're going to read about today, there's several different stories, are people who kind of walk inadvertently, but by God's plan, kind of into the glory cloud of God, right? So again, it doesn't say that in the stories, but it's very similar to many stories in the Bible where, you know, Elijah's on the mountain, right? Or Moses in the burning bush or uh, any number of stories where people are just doing their everyday thing, their normal thing, and trying to get on, and all of a sudden, God shows up, and it's awesome. So a walk in the clouds. One of the things I want to say to start with is that God can suspend our reality anytime he wants to. I love that. That's what I get from this story. Anytime God wants to, he can come into your life and absolutely violate every rule of nature that there is because he created nature, right? He's not held down by that. And God wants to be active in your life, and you'll see it in these stories today. So a bunch of stories from the crucifixion to the ascension. The first one is the empty tomb. I'm going to be in Luke 24 a lot here um, to start with. So Luke 24, we're talking about the empty tomb, uh, verse 1 through 12. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices, which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, this is a gigantic stone. It's not like a little stone you could just pick up, right? It takes several, several men to move that stone. It's huge. So not anybody can move the stone. But they found it rolled away. Then they went in, and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed uh, about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Love that. Uh, and then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, notice, and you're going to see this more than once in these stories, and you see it all through the Bible. When someone runs into either God himself or an angel of the Lord, they are afraid to start with. All right? Now, God's intention is not for them to be afraid. They are just naturally afraid because it's overwhelming to them as a, just a carnal, everyday person. They are not, hey, what's up, Jesus? Dude, oh, sit down, bro. That's not how it is. And I'm saying that because many people today have these stories of Jesus, bro, coming and hanging out with them, or God hanging out with them. And it was just amazing, and God just was there, and it was cool. You are not going to see that if you actually read the Bible. You are going to see people falling on their faces uh, in fear. And God always says the same thing, fear not. And gets them to stand up. And the angels do the same thing. Don't bow before me, I'm an angel. Stand up. Don't be afraid, it's okay. But they have to encourage them every single time. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and to be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. 
Then they returned from the tomb and they told all these things to the 11, the other 11 apostles who are still around, and to all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales or nonsense, it says in the notes. And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. Okay, so the cool thing about this story is first of all, angels show up and they're glowing and they're in white apparel and it freaks these people out. The tomb is empty. So this is a great point to, just a, a simple point to make, but I like to make it in this section of scripture, that there is no other explanation if you really think about it. I mean, you really put the time into it. There's no simple explanation that say, how could that happen other than Jesus rose from the dead? Because that time in history and that place in the world, there were several things that were working against the resurrection, right? There's the Romans who do not want Jesus to rise from the dead because he's considered a rebel who might lead an insurrection against Rome. And all through the Roman Empire, not just in Jerusalem, that's all the Romans cared about. If they heard, if there's one person who might be a rabble rouser, who might be starting kind of an insurrection against them, boom, they just crush them and put them out, kill them, get rid of them, whatever the deal is. They would not allow it. That's why they were willing to help crucify Jesus. They didn't even want to, but because it was causing trouble, let's just get rid of him, right? Yeah, the, the Jewish leadership, they absolutely did not want him to rise from the dead because that's why they put him to death to begin with, right? He was messing up their whole thing. They had this whole power structure and this whole religious system, and they loved it. And Jesus was just messing the whole thing up. So they did not want him to rise from the dead. Now you can say, well, the apostles did. The apostles wanted him to rise from the dead. They went in and stole the body. Well, first of all, there's a, there a group of soldiers there defending the tomb, right? Secondly, if you think about it and if you read about it, every single one of those apostles, every single one of them died a violent, bad, painful death because they would not go back on this story that Jesus rose from the dead. They could have. You'd think at the end of your life, you'd say, okay, they're going to kill me now. It's over. They are, they are telling me you're dead unless you renounce Jesus and tell us that he did not rise from the dead. You stole the body. Not one of them did. Now, you could say maybe there was one crazy one in the bunch, right? But not all of them. All of them died that painful death. The only logical answer, and they've done this like with like courtroom type setups before, and kind of tried the whole thing and put all the facts out there and had a jury and everything. And every single time, the verdict comes in that Jesus had to have risen from the dead because of those circumstances. There's no other explanation. All right, moving on. The road to Emmaus. Now, this is one of my absolutely favorite stories in the Bible. And it's funny, there's a guy at my work, uh, his name's Steve, and we always talk about godly things. And uh, I, he said, oh, you're teaching this weekend. What are you teaching on? And I said, oh, the ascension, but I'm going to go over some stories. One of them is the road to Emmaus. Oh, my gosh, that's my favorite story in the Bible. It's an amazing story uh, because Jesus does some really funny stuff here uh, to prove his point uh, and to get it through to us. So this is Luke 24, same chapter, verse 13. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> I, uh, 
I got a kind of an attack this week during the middle of the week on was it Thursday night. And I'm, I, I get up at three in the morning and I could barely breathe and I, I'm like just all stuffed up and my throat hurt so bad. And I'm like, what is happening right now? And so uh, Andy gave me a little bit of over-the-counter medicine and, and I prayed and, and I woke up two hours later and I was not perfectly fine, but it was gone. The sore throat was gone. The, the, I still have kind of the after effects of it. Um, but if I sound raspy today or if I cough a little bit, I'm still kind of battling that. But it's amazing that when you're going to do something like this and talk about the supernatural, how you get kind of the backlash uh, from the enemy. But thank God Jesus was there. And so I woke up a couple hours later and I felt fine. I, in fact, it was so bad I was going to call Matthew when I woke up and say, Matthew, you're going to have to find someone else. I can't, I can't even talk right now. I, cu- I couldn't even speak. I was like, you know, terrible. But praise the Lord. God came through. All right, so verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I love that. Are you kidding me? Who's that? Oh, it's Jesus. Hey, what are you doing here? Uh, <clears throat> but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Now, I don't know why that happened, but it happens in many of these stories where they cannot tell that it's Jesus until something happens and he reveals himself. Like he wants them to not know it's him because he's going to start testing him right now. Uh, and it's kind of comical, actually. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is that that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to them, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet and mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. I love this. They're like, where have you been? This is how big this story actually was, that everybody assumed that everybody would know because it was the thing that happened that weekend. And there were people from all over the world coming in because of the Passover, right? And all of them knew what happened. And so they're like, what? Who are you? Like, how do you not know this? <clears throat> so he says, what things? Uh, verse, tw- uh, verse, well, I'll start there again. And they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that, he who, that he, it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, Today is the third day since these things happened. So again, all these guys still were still thinking he's coming as the conquering king. Remember I talked a few weeks ago, you don't want to meet the conquering Jesus until you meet the Savior Jesus because that's not going to be good for you. You want to meet the Savior first and then the conquering king. But they were still in their flesh thinking, oh, Jesus is going to save us from the Romans. And that wasn't what the whole deal was about. But it's funny that they even mention that here. Uh, Verse 22, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. uh, And when they did not find the body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, 
but him they did not see. And then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further, like he was moving on. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for toward, uh, abide with us toward evening, because it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in, and he stayed with them. So they were, he was going to keep moving on. They go, no, no, please, please stay with us. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Awesome! So they don't know it's Jesus. He's kind of rebuking them, saying, why, do we, why are you so sad? Well, don't you know what happened? Well, don't you know this is supposed to happen? Let me show you in Scripture why this was going to happen. As I did before, I'm going to do it again here and explain to you this had to happen. This was the plan. It wasn't for me to come in and crush the Romans. That's not the idea. <clears throat> so then he breaks bread with them, and suddenly their eyes are open, and they can see, oh, my goodness, it's Jesus. Right in front of us. This was Jesus the whole time, and they didn't know it. I love that. It's kind of just amazing that Jesus would even do this, and it would be recorded in Scripture. <clears throat> anyway, so he vanishes, verse 32, and they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the Scriptures to us? I love that. When you have those moments with the Lord, it burns within you. It's a physical response. It kind of burns within you. If God is moving through you and doing things, the Bible says it's like a river of living water rising and rushing up inside of you. How can I explain that? I just, I can't really explain it. It just happens. And these guys are saying, as Jesus is speaking to us, it was just, didn't it just burn inside of you when he was speaking? These words and, and these prophecies and explaining it to us? Awesome. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them and gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. That's verse 35. Yes. Okay. So I just love that story. And again, it's almost like the glory of God just appearing on this road. And it wasn't even one of the apostles, right? It's just two of the disciples. We don't really know who they are. Can't really figure out who they are. There's theories about, oh, it could have been this person, but we don't really know. So Jesus just appears to a couple of disciples on a road away from Jerusalem and says, why are you so sad? This had to happen. And then I love it at the end, he appears to him. It's a great, a great story. I love it. Um, the 11 are gathered. So this is 24. This is Luke 24 again, 36 to 49. So these guys go back to Jerusalem and now they're going to talk to the apostles. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. <laughs> so these guys go back. They find the apostles. They tell them what happened. And all of a sudden, boom, there he is again. Oh, my gosh. It's Jesus. I love it. I love how he does that. And he says, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. So listen, you and I struggle like this too with spiritual things because we live in this carnal world and we have jobs and go to school and, and, and have to do mundane things every day over and over and over again. 
Every day I go to work and one of my drivers who comes in early with me goes, here we are again, doing the same old thing. Yep, it just kind of becomes a mundane thing. And so supernatural things become very foreign to us. And these guys are the elite of the elite as far as ministry goes, right? These are the people we look up to. These are the apostles and the early disciples, the ones that we go, man, I wish I could have been there. That would have been incredible. And they are having a really difficult time believing that this could possibly have happened, even though Jesus told them it was going to happen, even all the prophets before. And Moses told them, this is going to happen. And they're still like, no, you, you didn't see Jesus, or angel, whatever. You're nuts. So now Jesus gets tired of that, and he just appears right in the middle of them. And they're terrified. Again, it wasn't, oh, cool, what's up, Jesus? It's like, ah, oh, my God, what is happening right now? And they thought it was a ghost. But no, it's Jesus. And he says, peace to you. And so Jesus says to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy, so they believed, but now they're kind of just freaked out, and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So again, he has to explain to them, listen, this is supposed to happen. This is, this is what it says in the prophets. This is what Moses talked about. If you read the Psalms, this is what's in the Psalm. Why are you doubting? Why? Isn't it funny that Jesus said that over and over, even when he was with them, you know, in the boats? Why are you doubting? Don't you know who I am? Right? I'm the son of God. I am the Lord. Why are you afraid? Why are you doubting? Now, again, we kind of go through this too. We see something supernatural and we kind of freak out a little bit because we're not used to it. Right? But Jesus is trying to get them to understand, look, this is my plan and you are a huge part of it. Wake up, knock it off, and start believing. Look, touch me. Touch my wounds. I'm real. I'm not a ghost. I am alive. It's an awesome, awesome story. Um, let's say right there. I love where he says he opened their understanding. I, um, I found this. I can find it again. This is a really old Bible. So I, I, uh, I used to type things out, and I type out scriptures, and I kind of put them in a personalized way. Um, but this is from Ephesians, where he talks about the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So this is so old that I've actually typed it on an old typewriter. You can tell it's not computer, it's not computer paper. It's like the <laughs> that my mom used to have, the old metal ones. 
So it says, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask in accordance to what your word says in Ephesians 1, 17 through 20, that you give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you and your ways and enlighten the eyes of my understanding that I may know what is the hope of your calling on my life, what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of your power towards me and all those who believe. I believe I receive this. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a really old piece of paper, but that's a great prayer to pray because as you can see, their eyes were closed. They couldn't see it until God revealed it to them. And I love how it says here at the end of that scripture, Jesus had to open their understanding and then, ah, the lights came on and we should be praying that. That was from Paul to the Ephesians. We should be praying that God open my eyes, help me to see, give me eyes to see, give me ears to hear and a heart to understand, Lord, your ways, because they're higher than my ways. Amen? We want to understand the deep things of the Lord and not live, even though we're living in the carnal, physical world, we need to be living and focusing on a higher thing, and that's Jesus Christ, our King and our Savior. Amen? Amen. All right, so that's that. Uh, next one. Peter's reconciliation. I'm not going to read this because we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but it's uh, John 21. So Peter and the guys are back in Galilee and they're, I'm going to go, I'm going to go fishing. And they're all, all right, let's go fishing. So they go fishing uh, and they can't catch anything. And all of a sudden this guy's on the beach and what are you guys doing? Fishing. Catch anything? No. Well, put your net on the other side. You'll catch something. They put it on the other side. They can't even pull the nets in. They're breaking because there's so many fish. And of course, what happens? Boom, lights come on. That's Jesus. And Peter dives off the boat, swims to the shore, has that reconciliation moment where he has already denied him three times, right? Like in the skit we did last week for Easter. But now three times, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know I do. Then go and feed my sheep. I love it. Another kind of glory cloud type of moment. Okay, so the ascension. So the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, there are hundreds of prophecies that, that say it would have happened. Jesus said it time and time again that it was going to happen. But these guys were confronted with their daily carnal reality, just like you and me. It was difficult for them to understand. But God wants you to understand. He doesn't want you to stay with a carnal mind, not getting the things of God. He wants you to get it. And he's disappointed when we don't try. Like, he's disappointed. It's funny because we're like, whoa, what a story. And there, he's like, what is wrong with you people? Open your eyes. Understand. Understand the deeper things of God. All right. Um, Acts 1, 1 through 11. So this is the ascension. Old Bible. Kind of in pieces over here. So Acts 1, 1 through 11. So this is Luke who wrote Acts. And he's now, Luke was kind of an historian and a doctor. And so he's kind of given an historical account to, to this guy. So the beginning of Acts, he says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during a 40-day period 
and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So he was hanging out with them for 40 days. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Come on! Guys, stop it! Again! And he said that it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, he keeps bringing it around. Let's forget about the Roman thing. Forget that. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Over and over again before the ascension, he kept saying, wait in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to empower you to be my witnesses. Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were looking steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, Two men stood by them in white apparel. I love those guys. Verse 11, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So don't worry about that. He's gone, but you focus on what he said. Stay in Jerusalem. Wait for the Holy Spirit. He's going to empower you. It's an important important aspect of what's happening right here in this story. Everything about the ascension was about us now being responsible. That's what the ascension was about. Let's go to John 14, if I can find it. That's part of my, it's right where my Bible kind of broke years ago. <laughs> John 14. Mark, Luke, John. Wow. I think I have lost John. There's 10. There's one. All right, I'm going to have to go, go to the phone for an assist. Thank you, phone. I have to turn off Twitter first, though. Aren't we a hip church? All right. John 14. That's really funny. Bible app. John 14. Okay, John 14, verse 7. <clears throat> and we're going to read 7 through 18. I think. If you had known me, you would have known my father also, and from now on you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you for so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the father, so how can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father in me, that the words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority? But the Father who dwells in me does the works. 
Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, this is very important. Again, part of this Holy Spirit situation here. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I'm going to stop right there. So I, I love it. He says, he who believes in me, the works that you've seen me do, you're going to do those works and greater works than these that you're going to do. This is why he's t- he's telling him over and over again, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. It is important that the Holy Spirit comes into you because Jesus says it right here. Listen, he goes, I am Jesus. I am the son of God, but I didn't do those things in my own power. I had the father inside of me doing these works, saying these things, giving you these messages and instructions it was the father inside me and now i'm telling you go and wait in jerusalem because he's going to come into you too so it's funny he looks at philip feels like well show us the father he's like i'm right here they're like what what's happening all right Uh, verse 25 and 26 of that same chapter on my phone sorry 25 25, all right. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be trouble, troubled, neither let it be afraid. You, <clears throat> you have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father and my Father is greater than I. So he's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit, this is the, keep saying it over and over again. The Holy Spirit's gonna come. He's gonna come inside of you. You are gonna be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It is going to empower you and you are gonna do great things, even greater things than I did because I'm going to my Father and the Holy Spirit is gonna come inside of you. All right, Ephesians 4, if I can find it. Bible of many colors. Oh, there it is. Ah! Fusion 4. All right, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. But uh, to each one of you, this is Paul writing to the Ephesians, but to each one of you, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, and this is a quote from Psalms, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why did he give those gifts? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, 
till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in their cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined in it together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. He says, listen, the Holy Spirit's gonna come. I want you to wait in Jerusalem. And when he comes, he's gonna give you gifts. And what are those gifts for? We, we have got it so backwards. You know, we just have these super pastors and nothing against those men of God. They've built great ministries, not criticizing them for that at all. But we make them almost idols when the whole time God's saying, I'm gonna fill you with my Holy Spirit. Yes, I'm gonna have apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, but it's to equip you for the ministry so that you can go out and make things happen in the Holy Spirit. Gifts, um, these gifts that he gave to men are not just for uh, the first generation and they're not just for the apostles. There are many people who teach that and it's just such a bummer because there are some guys that I really like and I'll listen to them. And they teach really great and on most kind of elemental, you know, Bible passages or whatever, but they start talking about the Holy Spirit and they start talking about gifts and they're like discounting, discounting, excusing it away, excusing it away. Oh, that was just for the apostles. Oh, that was just the first generation. That was a special time, which the Bible never says. It doesn't say it was a special time. It doesn't say it was just for them. And in fact, Paul goes on and on about these gifts that the Holy Spirit's gonna give them. And Jesus went on and on and said, listen, wait for the Holy Spirit. He's gonna come and he's gonna empower you. And they wrote this and it's recorded in the New Testament because it's for all of us. It's for every generation. It's not passing away in the first generation. Otherwise, what's the point of writing it? Why are we reading it? Why did he put it in there and go on and on and on about it if it's just for the apostles? That's not what the Bible says. He says he's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to empower you, and you are going to be his witnesses. And not only are you going to do things that he did, but greater things you will do because he's going to the Father. 1 Corinthians, almost done here. 1 Corinthians 13. The love chapter again. Keep ending up here. Sign. You to pay attention. First Corinthians 13, verse 8 uh, through 13. So this is a scripture. I'm reading this because this is a scripture that many people use to kind of say, oh, the gifts passed away. That was just a special time because of what it says right here. Love never fails, but whether, whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. But we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. That's the key scripture. When will all it be done away with? When perfect has come. Who's perfect? Jesus. Has Jesus come back yet? No. Is it done away with yet? No. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, 
But when I became a man, I put away childish things, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. Now abide in faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The gifts of God are in effect, and you can read them in several chapters in Corinthians and other books in the Bible. The gifts are in effect until Jesus returns. The whole point of the ascension is, to, is no longer just one man, but millions of men, women, and children. This is what the plan was. If it's just one person, which, again, we like to make it just one person, right? All these denominations are one person. Where's he at? He's in Brazil. I better go to Brazil. Where's he at now? He's in Russia. I got to go to Russia. No. The whole point of the ascension was that it would go from being one man, right? Because if Jesus was still here, where would everybody go? They would go to Jesus. If he's in Jerusalem, they'd go there. If he's in America, they'd come here. They'd have to wait in lines forever to see Jesus. That's not the plan. The plan is I'm going to ascend into heaven, and when I do, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, just like I had the Spirit of God in me, you're going to have the Spirit of God in you, and now it's not one man that you have to track down wherever he is, and he can only deal with a certain amount of people at a time, right? It's now millions of you filled with my Holy Spirit just as I was. And now millions of you can go out and spread the gospel and heal the sick and, and uh, cast out devils and teach and preach and instruct. And we grow together as the body of Christ, him being the head. Amen? It's not one guy. Jesus didn't want it to be him alone. That's stupid. That's a stupid plan. <laughs> Where are you going tonight? Well, I don't feel good. I'm going to go see Jesus. Where is he at? Anaheim Convention Center. I got to go get in line. No. Any one of you who has the Holy Spirit can pray in faith. And God can do things. That's the plan. That's the whole point of the ascension. That's why he keeps saying, do, do not leave. Wait in Jerusalem for the promise. It's coming. And when it comes, it's going to fulfill my plan. Two more. 2 Corinthians 5.17, which is funny because I end up here a lot, and I, you know, it's, it's part of my ministry, I guess, but uh, I keep saying these things over and over again and hoping it will catch somewhere, sometime, some way. 2 Corinthians 5.17 through 20. This is Paul to the Corinthians, who's kind of a young, kind of wild church. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you know that was given to you? The ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are supposed to be reconciling the world, not waiting for Rick Warren to do it or whoever. 
You're supposed to be doing it. You are an ambassador for Christ. That's big time. Last one, Colossians 1, 26 and 27. I'm finding these ones. This is good. I had to reorganize my Bible. Colossians 1, 26. I have tape. It's worn off. It's like shards all over my Bible. You know, I keep buying new Bibles and they fall apart really fast and it just makes me so mad. And then this one's all inked up. So anyways, I digress. Colossians 1, 26 through 27. So Paul again writing. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of of glory. Back to the glory cloud. Full circle. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Where's Chris? Can Chris come? Oh, Chris, come back. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This was the plan. This is what the ascension was about. Jesus could have stayed, but that's a dumb plan. And that was never his plan. His plan was Christ in you and me, working and ministering. And that's why Jesus made a point of saying, listen, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The works that I do, the Holy Spirit's doing them through me. Yes, I'm the Son of God, but that's not the point. Remember when he got baptized by John and John said, I, you, should be doing, you should be praying for me. I don't, I'm not baptized, I can't baptize you. And Jesus said, no, it has to happen this way. Why? Because the Bible says that in all things, He's our example. He is our example. And so what he did, we do. He got baptized, we need to get baptized, right? And he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are now, if we ask the Holy Spirit into our hearts, we are now filled with the Holy Spirit. And we now can minister to others. Not because we're special or great, or we have some special knowledge, but because the Holy Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God is in us, just like it was in him. Amen.